real and kind spirit, and uh, uh, I appreciate him uh, thinking enough of me to have me here this morning, and uh, uh, I just want to do my best and uh, try to help some people this morning if I could, and uh, you're a fine-looking bunch, and uh, so I don't don't know that I really know any of you, but uh, uh, if looks are any... uh, indication you guys are doing all right uh amen Uh, i want to get into my into my uh, lesson this morning i love to do bible study uh probably more than i enjoy preaching and so when he told me there were going to be a sunday school lesson involved this morning that was a delight for me and uh so i'm uh, i'm going to do my best in that regard this morning uh i i love this part of the state it's beautiful up here the drive has been been uh, very, very pleasant and all of that. Uh, I don't want to take a lot of time with the thank you pleases and all of that. We'll just get right into what we have to say. Brother McBride, thank you for having me this morning. I'm sorry that my wife cannot be here. Um, I had to do a men's retreat on the way up here, so to speak. So uh, she, wouldn't, she would have been out of place in the men's retreat. So uh, <clears throat> I want to talk this morning... Um, if you'll give me a few minutes, if you'll give me a few minutes, it may sound a little boring, the first few minutes here, all right? When the preacher says it's going to be boring, that's not good. I'm in trouble already. I've been up here three minutes. Um, It's not going to be boring, but it it, it may sound like... uh, it may sound like something you've heard a uh, hundred times in the first few minutes, uh, but I want to start reading from the book of 1 Corinthians. Um, you've, it's a habit. I say it at our church all the time. We got that from uh, the president. Um, 1 Corinthians 3 um, and verse 1, And I, brethren, could not speak to you. That's a frustrating thing to say. It may just look like black ink on white paper. To you, but having uh, been involved in ministry most of my life, uh, it is frustrating to look at people and say, "I I can't really tell you what I want to tell you because you just don't you don't think on that level." And that's what he's telling. I'm not I am not saying that to you. He was saying that to them. Got it? All right. He said, "I cannot speak to you as unto spiritual. I cannot even speak in spiritual terms because you don't understand them." He said, "But unto but as unto carnal, even." as unto babes in Christ. I have fed you with milk and not with meat, and hitherto you are able to bear it. You were not able to bear it. Neither yet now are you able. You weren't able then. You're not able now. He said, for you are yet carnal. And by the way, carnal is the worst thing that you could be labeled. Because the Scripture says clearly that the carnal mind is enmity with God. It makes you an enemy. Not just someone who is misguided or even lost, but someone who is a literal enemy of God. So carnality is kind of an um, innocuous term to us, um, but in scripturally it is a very, very serious charge. He said, you are carnal. For whereas there is among you, how do I know you're carnal? What are the symptoms of carnality? Envy, strife, and divisions. That's how I know you're carnal. And you walk as men. God bless you. Be seated today. Uh, Hebrews. Hebrews chapter 5. Uh, Hebrews chapter 5. He's, uh, I believe, the same writer. Can't prove that. But 
I believe it's Paul writing there in the book of Hebrews, but uh, he writes to the Jewish church much the same thing. He's talking about uh, Melchizedek. It says, and being found and being made perfect, he became the author, talking about Jesus Christ, he became the author of eternal salvation. And to all them that obey him, called of God to be a high priest after the order of Melchizedek, of whom we have many things to say and hard to be uttered, seeing that you are dull of hearing. It's what he told, that's the same thing he told them in Corinthians. I want to tell you things, spiritual things, you can't get it, so I can't tell you. He says, I want to tell you things about the priesthood of Jesus Christ. He said, but I can't tell you because you won't get it. And again, this is not any reflection on you. This is the symptom. Anyway, I don't have to say that, right? Okay. He said, um, he, he said, there's things that are hard to be uttered, seeing you are dull of hearing. I can't say them because you can't get them. All right, for when, uh, for the time you ought to be teachers. Everybody needs to point at yourselves right now and say, I ought to be teaching. Scripture tells us that we ought to be teaching. At some point in our development, we ought to be teaching. That is a fact. And if we're not teaching, it is a sign of underdevelopment. That don't mean you got to be teaching a class. You got to be teaching somebody something. All right, well, anyway. He said, you ought to be teachers. He said, but you have need that one teach you again. Uh, which be the first principles of the oracles of God. You gotta, we got to go over the basics again constantly with you people, he said. And are become such as have need of milk and not of strong meat. For everyone that useth milk is unskillful in the word of righteousness, for he is a babe. All right? But strong meat belongs to them that are full of age. It has nothing to do with your chronological age. It has to do with your spiritual maturity. It says, strong meat belong to them that are full of age, those who, uh, even those who by reason, this is my whole point right here, by reason of use have their senses exercised to discern both good and evil. It said, the benefit, the true benefit of having, a, a, having experience in the Word it's not being able to quote more verses than someone else or having better recall of ABC doctrine, but it is the principal benefit of having experience in his word is to be able to discern good and evil. They, they believe that, I, I think most people believe that in, in creation when God created the garden, and he put the man and the woman in the garden. And of course, you know, he told them they could have all the trees of the garden, everything in the garden, just this one tree here. You don't mess with that. And, I, and as a young man, I often ask, why did he put that there? Why you, have, have you ever asked yourself that question? Why did he put that there? It's just like he just put the, he, he made a beautiful paradise and put a booby trap in the middle of it and said, aha, don't touch that. And, you know, and there's been a lot of theory as to why he put that there. Is it just so that they would have a choice or this or that? I think they'd have a choice whether that tree is there or not because the choice was not to eat fruit. The choice was to rebel. Was to rebel. And everybody has that choice. You could lock someone in a, in a padded cell and they still have the option to rebel. You don't need uh, a piece of fruit to eat. You don't need a website to visit. You don't need a, anything in order to rebel. God said... 
I, I'm going to put this here, and, and, and in the event that you rebel, in the event that you go to seek your own way, it's going to have to happen right here at this tree. And he called that tree the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. It wasn't that God set a trap in the middle of the garden to snare them. The rebellion was the snare, but he said, when you rebel, when you fall, I need you to know that you have fallen. You need to have knowledge of good and evil. It wasn't a spider's web. It was a safety net that when they fell, they would be, they would understood that they had fallen. They would understood that they needed uh, to hide themselves or to cover themselves. And so the redemption wheels began to turn the moment they sinned and rebelled against God because they fell into knowledge, not ignorance, that they had sinned. So, um, and that's kind, of a, that's kind of a difficult concept, but that's what I believe about uh, the tree in the garden. It, be that as it may. Um, the deeper relationship with his word, with his word, equips us with the ability to discern. That's what it said in, in our text today. It, it equips us with the ability to discern good and evil because the worst thing in the world is to be blind to good and evil. He says, in, he says in Isaiah chapter 5, verse 20, is that up there? Did I give him that one? Oh, it says, woe to them that call evil good. Boy, are we in, that, are we in this situation today in our, in our world. Woe to them that call evil good and good evil and put darkness for light and light for darkness and put bitter for sweet and sweet for the worst most hopeless place you could possibly be is to be in darkness and think you're in light. To be in evil and think that you're in good. And you say, how did our, how did our morality in our country and in our world become so inverted and backwards? And how, how could evil be so good to the world and, and good be, appear so evil to the world is because they have not exercised themselves in the Word, their senses in the Word, so that they could discern good and evil. So woe to them that call evil good, good evil, light darkness, and bittersweet. Um, so we need, to, we need the, the ability to discern. It's one thing to pick up that book and just read the things that are evil and the things that are good. But that doesn't always work. Uh-oh, don't leave. There's some things that, there are things beyond that. Now, I'm going to illustrate that. There are things beyond that, and I, I, I've got to hurry through this to get to the interesting part. But if you'll go to Galatians chapter 5, he, he makes a list of things. He said, those who, um, those who participate in these things, he, he says clearly there, will not inherit the kingdom of God. So these are, these are very serious uh, situations here that he's listing here in Galatians. He calls them the works of the flesh. Those are things that are in us. We don't need any help from the devil. We don't need any help from the world. They are in us. Some of the darkest, most hideous things in the world are in you right now. Things you never thought you would do, things you never thought you, 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 you could blame anybody you want to, but they are in us, and it's good for us to recognize this. It says the works of the flesh are manifest, or they're obvious, and they're these. Adultery, fornication, uncleanness, lasciviousness, idolatry, witchcraft, hatred, 
variants, emulations, wrath, strife, seditions, heresies, envies, murder, drunkenness, revelings, and other stuff too. Well, that's a big long list. I can check off this. I'm not a drunk, and I hadn't committed adultery. I, uh, some of them, I don't even know what they are, and so we'll scratch those off, and I'm not a witch. That's a pretty exhaustive list, but after he finished that list, he said, yeah, and there's a lot of other things too. There are things... You understand this. There are things in this world that are, uh, let's say they're in the area over here where there's really, particularly when this, when this passage was written, there, were, they did, there was no um, grounds for him to address the Internet. There were no grounds there for uh, the, the hatred and stuff that's going on in our world today that, so he, say, he makes a big long list, and he says, and such like, of which I tell you before, as also I told you in the time past, that they which do such things shall not. Well, that's as serious as that sounds, it looks like to me he could have gone ahead and finished the list. He said, if you're, if you're a drunk, if you're a fornicator, if you're an adulterer, if you're an idolater, if you're a witch, if you're, if you're full of hate and variance and emulations and strife and seditions and heresies, you're not going to make it. But he said, there's a bunch of other stuff, too, that I'm not telling you. Ah, well, we need to figure those things out. How do we figure those things out? By studying that list? That's a good place to start, but that list only lists a few. And he said, there are many other things there that will cause you to, to absolutely miss out on the kingdom of God. The word of God, it says in the book of Hebrews chapter 4, is quick. That don't, has nothing to do with speed. That has to do with being alive. The word quick is the old English word for alive. The word of God is alive and is powerful and is sharper than any two-edged sword. Amen? Uh, and, and it says that it is... It, uh, it is piercing even to the dividing of sunder of soul and spirit and joints of marrow and is a discerner of thoughts and intents. Thoughts and intents. Things which cannot be listed in a list. Things that cannot be included or stated in church bylaws and cannot be legislated in, board, in boardrooms. There are things in us that only the Word of God can detect, that experience and exposure over time allows us to spot things that have not been itemized. And no preacher can take you to chapter and verse saying, hey, you better stay away from this, and you better look out for that, and you better get involved in this. You have to know good and evil. It's, good. it's wonderful to know the black ink on the white paper. It's wonderful to know the Word itself. But exposure over time and experience in that Word will equip you to uh, detect things that are not even necessarily written in there. Some of the things that are such like. I, there's not a week goes by that somebody doesn't approach me with, well, what do you think about this? I didn't say anything in the Bible about it. Well, if you're looking for a checklist, there's a lot of churches have those, but I know I've seen it happen. You can always circumvent it. Technically, I didn't. So you need to understand that 
Exposure to the Word is the only thing that will allow you to detect good and evil. And I'm not talking about just Acts 2.38 and, and just 1 Corinthians. And You need to go all the way back to Genesis and the law. The law. There's, oh, no, we're finished with the law. I beg your pardon. We are not finished with the law. In fact, Jesus came. You have heard that it hath been said, Thou shalt not commit adultery. Well, I'm here to tell you, you can forget that because I'm here now. No, that's not what he said. He said, I tell you what, I'm good. Not only am I going to enforce that law, but I'm going to ratchet it up a notch. He that looketh upon a woman to lust after in his heart has committed adultery already with it. You have heard that it hath been said, thou shalt not kill. Well, so, but, but you don't have to worry about that. He was quoting the law. But he didn't. He, he not only enforced that law, but he says, I'm, we're going to ratchet it up a little bit. If you hate your brother without a cause, you're a murderer. So that's, that's pretty heavy stuff. And I realize the temple rites and a lot of the ceremonial law and stuff like that, the things that have been fulfilled by Christ, please hear me. And I don't want to do your pastor's job here today. I can barely do my job. But the... The, the part of the law, when it, Jesus came to fulfill the law, it was the ceremonial parts of the law, the divers washings, the, the temple rites, the animal sacrifice, and the things of that nature. He didn't come to do away with the law, thou shalt not kill. Did he? He didn't come to do away with the law, thou shalt not steal. He didn't do, come to do away with the law, honor thy father and thy mother. He didn't come to do away with the moral and spiritual law. We find out, we will find out in a moment that the law is spiritual. And he didn't come to do away with that. He came to do with the ceremonial parts of the law, the animal sacrifice and all of those things. He fulfilled those things. But the law, in exposure to that law, a consistent exposure to the law of God. Well, listen, it's so boring reading over there in Deuteronomy. It's so boring some of reading some of that Old Testament law that I exposure in that word because when Paul wrote that to the Corinthians they didn't have a New Testament to read when he said you need to be skillful in the word it was the law and the prophets was the word that he was talking about and he was writing to a New Testament church you study in the law and in the prophets and in the Psalms and the Pentateuch you study that and you will over time develop a conscience and awareness innately of what is good and what is evil. That's what it was there for. Paul said, that law was my schoolmaster. It taught me what evil was. It taught me what good was, and it taught me how inadequate I was to achieve good. And so it taught me that I had to come to Jesus Christ. It led me to Christ, he said. Does that make sense to everybody? I've spent too much time Oh, my heavens, I'm in trouble. Um, let's, I'm going to explain something to you quickly. Now, that was the part I said that was boring. Um, if you come into John chapter 3, John chapter 3, uh, the famous uh, discourse of Jesus with Nicodemus. Remember, uh, Nicodemus came to Jesus by night and said, what, what, what must I do? And uh, um, Jesus said, um, be born again. What? And the second time a mother's womb be born, that is making sense. And so he tells him, you know, you got to be born of the water and of the spirit. Um, 
and all of that. And then he said, Jesus come around and he said, you know, he said, Nicodemus, how is it that thou, being a master of the Jews, you're, you're a, you have a master's degree in Jewish history, how is it that you being an authority on all things Hebrew, that you're not familiar with the second birth? You can go all the way back to Abraham, the father of the Hebrews, had two sons. First was Ishmael, right? And Abraham loved Ishmael. In fact, we'll read in a moment here where he says that Abraham says, oh, that Ishmael might live before thee. I want him to be the recipient of the promise. But God said, no, you're going to have a secondborn, Isaac, and the promise, the birthright, will flow through Isaac. Then Isaac had two sons. The firstborn was Esau. The secondborn was Jacob. Esau, Jacob wanted to give the birthright to Esau. But God said, no, the birthright goes to the secondborn, Jacob. It skips a generation there. Jacob has what we know as, as his name was changed to Israel, and he had children, the children of Israel. But when Joseph brought his sons, Ephraim and Manasseh, brought, him to, brought them to Jacob, Jacob said, these are my sons. He went to lay his right hand, his, 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 right, his right hand on the firstborn, the right hand of blessing, and he crossed his arms when he went to bless him. And Joseph literally arm wrestled his aging father trying to press, press the right hand of blessing down upon the firstborn because every human being wants the firstborn to be the one that's blessed. But Jacob overpowered him and said, I know what I'm doing, and he laid his right hand over on the secondborn and his left hand fighting Joseph the whole way. And he said, Nicodemus, how is it that you could be a master of Jewish history and not know the gift of the secondborn, that the promise and the birthright has always traveled through the secondborn, and marvel not that I say unto you that you must be born again, because that which is born of flesh is flesh, and that which is born of spirit is spirit. That, that flesh that was born in 1965, I want it to be the blessed one. I want it to be the one that receives the gifts. But there must be a secondborn for this promise, for this for this power to flow through. It can never flow through the flesh. That which is born of flesh is flesh and will always be flesh, and it'll never straighten up. I've been dragging this flesh to church for 53 years, and it still don't want to live right. It still doesn't love truth. I've starved it for weeks at a time in fasting and such like, but it still doesn't want to do truth. It still wants the things of the flesh because that which is born of flesh is flesh, and it never changes its mind. But that which is born of spirit is spirit. Amen. And when that spirit was born into me, hallelujah, when I was 15 years old and I received the second birth, the right hand of blessing of God Almighty rested upon the second born. Amen. And I'm so glad that it did. I'm so glad that it did. It's kind of turned into preaching there for a little bit. Excuse me. Uh, so we understand the whole firstborn, secondborn deal. And Jesus was trying to wake Nicodemus to the prospect that I deal with the secondborn, not with the firstborn. So you must be born again. And so if you go back to the beginning, you can go all the way back to the Garden of Eden where Adam had two sons. It was Cain, the firstborn, and then Abel, the secondborn. It's consistent. But Genesis chapter 17, and Abraham, Abraham said unto God, Oh, that Ishmael might live before thee. 
Abraham is pleading for the firstborn, just like we all do. We plead for the flesh. We want the things that please our flesh. And God said, Sarah, thy wife shall bear thee a son indeed, and thou shalt call his name Isaac, and I will establish my covenant with him for an everlasting covenant and with his seed after him. And if you go to Genesis chapter 21, verse 8, and I'm hurrying, Genesis 21, verse 8, the child grew. This is Isaac. Are you all with me? The child grew. Ishmael was about 13 years old when Isaac was born. He was a teenager, and Isaac was born. And by the 21st chapter, Isaac had begun to grow, and the Scripture says he was weaned. And Abraham made a great feast the same day that Isaac was weaned. Have you ever heard of potty parties? Anybody ever heard of a potty party? If any of you have ever had or are ever planning to have a potty party, I ask you to reconsider. There's a thing. It's actually a thing. Potty parties. That you throw a party for your kid when they get potty trained. You want to train your kid to be a loser. That'll work. Like all you have to do in order to be celebrated is quit pooping yourself. Don't do that. But Abraham did that. Except it wasn't a it wasn't a poop party, it was a weaning party. The day that Isaac was weaned, the day the secondborn, the son indeed, was weaned, something happened. Something happened that had never happened before on that day. Look at what it says in the next verse, verse 9. And Sarah saw the son of Hagar the Egyptian, Ishmael, which she had borne unto Abraham mocking. This baby's been around now for some months. I don't know how long it took him to wean a child back in those days, but this Isaac had been on milk. But the day that he was weaned, the firstborn came around and started persecuting him. As long as he was small and harmless and weak, there wasn't really a conflict between the firstborn and the secondborn. But the day that the boy was weaned, and this was not written by accident. He's trying to give us this spiritual message, the same one that Paul was trying to give us in the New Testament. Milk is for those who are strong. There was no conflict at the birth of Isaac. There was no conflict as long as he was on the breast of Sarah. There was no conflict as long as he was a... But when, once he became viable, once he became independent, immediately there arose a conflict between the firstborn and the secondborn. And you're going to have some struggles in your life. Jesus did not come here to give you teddy bears and lollipops and to make you feel warm and fuzzy. There will be a sword in your life. He did not come to bring peace but a sword, he said. 
And there will be conflict in your life that you otherwise would not ever have. When that second born begins, begins to come to fruition, when that Holy Spirit that is in us begins to get its feet under it and it begins to stand and we begin to understand spiritual truth, then there is going to be conflict in your life. And if there is no conflict in your life, it can only be for one reason, because we know the firstborn has always been there. Salim Memorial Hospital, 1965, that's when this firstborn was born. And it will always be there. And if, it is not, if there is not a conflict, it is because there is not a viable secondborn in my life. And the minute there is a viable secondborn, as long as the minute my spiritual man begins to rise, there will be a conflict with the spirit because the flesh wars against the spirit and the spirit against the flesh. And if there's no war in your life, the truth is there can only be one reason, and that is because the spirit man is subdued or perhaps is still on the milk. So... I, I, I'm sure your pastor had many of the same experiences, and people come to me and say, oh, you know, since I, since I came to the Lord, things have gotten more difficult, of course. And the more I try to do good, the more, more problems I have. Yep. The moment he was weaned, the moment he was off of the milk, there began a war. And Abraham then had a choice to make that he never had to make before. Sarah said, you got to do something about that. And Sarah saw the son of Hagar, the Egyptian, which is born to Abraham, mocking. Wherefore, she said to Abraham, cast out this bondwoman and her son, for the son of this bondwoman shall not be heir with my son. That which is born of flesh is flesh. That which is born of spirit is spirit. And they never get together. They do nothing but war. All right. So the weaning of the promised child, the second born, was the moment conflict began. And as long as he's small and helpless, apparently there was no persecution. Ishmael was the son that Abraham wanted. Abraham wanted. Ishmael was the son that Abraham wanted. He's saying, God, let him live before you. Let him be the one. Ishmael was a son just like you and I. Our flesh is the one that we want to prosper. We'll come to church, check the box. We've been there, done that. But really what we want is a new truck. No, no, no picking on you, brother. You got a fabulous truck. It's me that wants a new truck. All right. Oh, boy, it didn't take me long to stick my foot in it, did it? What, what I want to... What I want is a, a, a new relationship. What I want is a raise on my job. There's nothing wrong with the desiring those things, but don't let, them be, don't let them be the pursuits in your life. Don't let them be the thing that you're crying out constantly for God to bless because there's a second born there that needs to rise and be strong. Abraham didn't see anything wrong with the firstborn until the day the secondborn matured. And all of a sudden, when the secondborn matured, you begin to see things in your flesh that you never saw before. As you spend time in his word and get off of the milk and onto the strong meat and you, you have exposure and experience in his word, you will start to see things in you that you don't like, that you never even knew were there. Weaning yourself off of Sunday morning fare and onto serious pursuit in his word will cause you conflict and will cause you to see things in yourself that you never noticed before. 
and it is uncomfortable. Things you never saw anything wrong with your flesh until your spirit comes to fruition. Amen. When he was weaned, that's when it all began. Isaiah 28, it's amazing how thorough the Bible is in its themes. It says the same thing in Genesis as it says in Hebrews. It says the same thing in Hebrews as it says in Isaiah. It is a theme. In Isaiah 28, he said, Whom shall he teach knowledge? Who will really understand knowledge? And whom shall he make to understand doctrine? Them that are weaned from the milk and drawn from the breast. You don't really get knowledge of good and evil. You don't really have the ability to discern good and evil. If it's not printed on a page somewhere, then no one can grasp it unless you have exposure to that word that programs your mind and spirit and heart to recognize good and recognize evil because woe unto you if you get the two confused. Well, he says, who's going to teach knowledge and who's going to uh, make to understand uh, doctrine? He says, them that are weaned from the milk and drawn from the breast, for precept must be upon precept, precept upon precept, line upon line, line upon here a little, there a little. That's when you begin to develop, when you begin to build that building, here a little, there a little, precept upon precept, line upon line, all of a sudden you begin to understand truth and you begin to discern things, even things that are deeper than the black ink on the white paper. hope that makes sense. He gave some apostles, he says in Ephesians chapter 4, some prophets, some evangelists, and some pastors and teachers. What are they for? They're for the perfecting of the saints, for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ, till we all come to the unity of the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God unto a perfect man, unto the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, that we henceforth be no more children tossed to and fro and carried about by every wind of doctrine and slight of men, the cunning craftiness whereby they lay in wait to receive. He said, if you're as that suckling child, if you're as that little one, everything blows you off your feet. Everything that comes along. Oh, I wonder if that's the right thing. I wonder if this is the right thing. He said, no, but if you have experience and exposure over time in his word, you will discern good and evil. And boy, do you need that in this age. Do you need that today in our world? You need an innate evil detector and an innate good detector in this world. You're not going to have your pastor by your side every moment. You're not going to have wisdom around you every moment. You need your own wisdom in the Word so that you can immediately detect and discern what you need and what you don't need. And there is no substitute for that. And there's no way to achieve that other than his word. His word. The struggle in you is not evidence that there is something wrong with you. To the contrary, it is evidence that there is something right. The people who can sin with impunity, the people who can walk down dark paths without fear, people who have no, who Jeremiah said, describe them this way. They cannot blush. They, they never have any fear. They never have any shame. They never have any conflict. They live their lives. And you think, my, it would be good to just live out there and not have any 
uh, thing in the back of your mind that's saying, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. A lot of people don't have the wait a minute. Have you noticed? I had breakfast this morning down in the in the hotel lobby, and there's a couple of fellas in there that didn't have a wait a minute in their mind. You just the way they were talking and the things they were talking about, and the, the way they used language and all of that was just like, my, what it would be like to just sit there and have no regard for the implications of what I'm doing and what I'm thinking and what I'm saying. Incapable of blushing and incapable of being embarrassed, incapable of thinking, well, maybe I'm wrong. Why do I have this conflict? Why do I have these restraints in my life? If I don't have that conflict, then I have no second born and I have no promise because the promise flows through the second born. You got to grow up. You got to grow up and you got to start reading stuff. Even this is what I've learned. I've read, I've read the Bible all my life just about and particularly seriously since I was about 15 years old and and there's still so many parts of it I can't make heads or tails out of, but I read it anyway. You know, I read it anyway. So I, I eat stuff sometimes that I don't like because it makes me strong and good looking. Some things, you know, I'm trying to make heads or tails out of it. Some of it I figured out. Some of it I hadn't figured out. But I read it anyway because I believe that even the things that I don't understand fully that does something in me and to me and, I, and it, it challenges me and it brings me and it teaches me. And before you know it, I have something in my mind that says, no, 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 no. Don't go there. You need to go here. Where did that come from? Where did that innate sense come from when other people don't have it? It came from reading there things that maybe some of which I did not even understand. Amen. So go ahead and let that spirit war against the flesh. I just want peace. Well, good luck with that. You have peace with God. You're not going to have peace with your flesh. Your flesh hates God. It hates God's word. It hates God's spirit. And the minute his spirit begins to rise in you, he will begin to mock. The minute you're weaned off the, the milk and you begin to be strong in the spirit, he'll begin to persecute. You're never going to have peace in your life with your flesh. You have peace with God. Amen. Pursue peace with God. Amen. I believe all that. I got a cup. Oh, I don't either. I got no minutes. Oh. I'm going to read quickly. I'm going to read quickly. Go to Romans chapter 7. and It's a lot of reading here, but I'm going, to, I'm going to skim through it. It's going to skim through it. It's important. No, I don't. He said the law is holy. Oh, no, we don't, we don't worry about the law. He says there the law is holy, and the commandment is holy, and it is just, and it is good. He's teaching us about the Old Testament law. So don't throw it away. I know the whole wide world is saying just everything before the book of Matthew, just tear it out and throw it away. You better not do that. The law is holy. It is just, and it is good. Next verse. Was then that which is good made death unto me? God forbid. But sin that it might appear sin. He said the reason the law is there and the reason the law is so good and the reason the law is so holy, he says, because it allows me to recognize sin. 
if it has no other value, that book allows me to recognize sin, that, that sin might appear to be sin, that I won't call good evil and evil good and darkness light and light darkness. I get in that boring book of numbers and read it. <laughs> the sin that might appear sin, working death in me, that which, and that which is good, that sin by the commandment might become exceeding sinful, just so I'll know evil is evil. Let's read quickly here. There's two words I'm going to get to, then I'll quit. For we know that the law is spiritual, but I am carnal, sold under sin. The law is spiritual. Huh, huh. The law is spiritual. Next verse. For that which I do, oh boy, does this sound familiar? That which I do, I allow not. For that that I would, that I do not, and that I hate, and that I, you ever been there? You know, I don't want to do it, and I did it, and I, the things I wanted to do, I wound up not doing. It's very frustrating. Next verse. If then I do that which I would not, I consent unto the law that it is good. The law is good. Next verse. Now then, it is no more I that do it, but sin that dwelleth in me. Paul's not copping out there. He understands there's a struggle. There's two sides of this man. This side, this firstborn wants to sin. He wants to do nothing but sin. It wakes up in the morning wanting to sin. Goes to bed at night wanting to sin. It just loves to sin. But there's another part of me that I follow with my mind. My mind gets to make the choice here. The sin, he says, sin dwelleth in me, verse 18, quickly. For I know that in me that is my flesh dwelleth no good thing. For to will is to be present with me, but how to perform that, he said, it's just good, I find not. Quickly. I know I'm messing you up here. For the good that I would, that I would, I do not, but that evil which I would not, that I do. Boy, there's a conflict. Somebody say amen if you've ever gone through that. Now, if I do that which I would not, it is no more I that do it, but that sin dwelleth in me. We've been there. I find then, I find, I didn't make the law, I found the law. I find then a law that when I would do good, evil is present with me. You know, that's true whether you find it or not. Paul said, I have figured it out. I have found the law. I have found something. I have found truth way back in the, even the times of Adam and then of Abraham and his sons. I have found that there is something in me that will never bring itself uh, to live holy. There's a part of me that is never going to change its mind. Boy, I'm deep in this, Brother McBride. Quickly, next verse. For I delight in the law of God after the inward man. There's the second born. But I see another law. I didn't make this law. I didn't create this law. I found this one too. I see this law in my members warring against the law of my mind and bringing me into captivity to the law of sin and death, which is in my members. I'm going to quit there. I wanted to get in the eighth chapter where he says, you got to follow. So, the, the gist is this. You have these two laws, and they're opposing one another. He said, in my mind, I've got my, I've got my second born over here. I've got my first born over here. He said, in my mind, which is right in the middle, gets to follow. He said, there is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus who follow after the Spirit and not after the flesh. If you follow after the flesh, you are in condemnation. 
And that means condemnation is a legal term. That means you are condemned. Once you have been tried and convicted, then you are condemned and you die. If you follow after the flesh, you will die. He said, but if you follow after this, your mind, you've always had two parts. He said, I just figured that out. I just found that out. That there's, even when I want to do good, evil is present with me. He said, but my mind gets to choose which I follow. Thank God. Get in the book. Follow that which is good. Follow that which is good, and there will be no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus who walk after the Spirit and not after the flesh. Amen. I don't know how you end Sunday morning, Brother, Brother McBride. I'm going to turn this back to you, but I want us to just close our eyes for a moment. And let's ask the Lord Jesus, would he, would he inspire us more than ever before to get our hearts into his word, into his word, so that we might learn to detect and have innate sense, Lord, of where you want us to go and what you want us to know and how you want us to behave. Lord, I love you and I praise you. Lord, I'm asking you, Lord Jesus, to lead me and guide me in truth and in wisdom and in understanding. Lord, I don't want to call evil good and I don't want to call good evil. Lord, I'm asking that you would cause me to discern these things through your word that is quick and powerful and causes us to discern thoughts and intents. In Jesus' name, in Jesus' name, and everybody say amen. Praise the Lord. Brother McBride. Why don't we stand together?